Outside, should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. All right, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to this uh, episode of uh, Ask Alan the podcast. I'm Alan Crone, the CEO of the Crone Law Firm, and uh, we've got a very special um, show today. I'm very excited. I've been looking forward to this uh, for quite a while. We have the uh, City of Memphis Fire Chief, uh, Gina Sweat. Gina, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate you uh, having me on today. Oh, I appreciate you being on. Um, I was thinking as I was uh, driving to work this morning, that you've got the job every kid dreams about having, being the fire chief. And when I was growing up, um, I wanted to be the fire chief. And what's great about you having that job is now young girls who uh, want to, to do that, they've got a role model. They've got someone who can show them the way there. How, has, how important has that been uh, for you over the last few years in fulfilling that role? You know, Alan, it's, it's interesting that you say that because when I was a, a young kid growing up, I didn't dream of being a firefighter or the fire chief because it wasn't something that uh, little girls were that even thought they had the opportunity to do. It wasn't something they were really encouraged to do. Um, so I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to be a firefighter. But, um, you know, actually, I went to college uh, and got a business degree. And, and really it was after I got out of college that the career opportunity even came to me. So, um, you know, I think it's very important now, um, that me as a, as a woman and leading the department, you know, try to lead by example and, and get that message out to other young, uh, women and young girls that, you know, anything you want to be in life, you can be. Uh, it's just, you know, you just got to do a lot of hard work, a lot of, you know, commitment. And, you know, sometimes some good luck actually, too, helps you along the way. But uh, I, I do think it's very important. I didn't uh, always embrace it. You know, I just wanted to be a, a firefighter and uh, do my job and be, you know, be that person. But I do uh, also realize that it is important, uh, especially being the first female uh, chief of the department. You know, I'm not I won't be the last. So I'm going to pave the way so that other women have that opportunity as well. So you mentioned you you, uh, you got a business degree. Where did where did you get your business degree? Uh, I went to uh, Freed Hardeman University in Henderson, Tennessee, and I uh, went there on a, it was kind of a dual, uh, some academic scholarship and uh, basketball. I played basketball there uh, for four years at, uh, at the uh, Freed Hardeman University. And then I actually went back to school after I joined the fire department and got uh, another degree in fire administration and then a master's degree uh, from the University of Memphis, Go Tigers. Go Tigers, very good. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is important information. Uh, college basketball player, uh, what position did you play? Uh, I spent a lot of time on the bench, but uh, <laughs> no, so mostly uh, I, I played small uh, two guard, small forward uh, most of the time. Uh, I was a when the, I was there, I started right as they brought the three-point shot into women's basketball. 
and this actually the smaller size basketball. So that was uh, that was like great news for me because I really like I was an outside shooter, so uh, that helped me out a lot uh, to get that playing time. Well, my son James is a three point specialist, uh, and so he he would be simpatico with you uh, on that. Uh, so how do you go from um, a basketball playing business major uh, to firefighter? Well, it was, I say the fire department kind of found me. Um, I had started, I was working in Memphis uh, for property in a property management uh, group. And uh, it, it just wasn't really, you know, I didn't have a real passion for it. I, you know, I, I was doing the job fresh out of college, you know, uh, how that goes. Mm-hmm. And um, a family friend actually uh, had t- talked to my dad and said that the fire department was actually trying to recruit females. And they knew that I had an athletic background, uh, kind of knew my personality and thought that it might be a good fit for me. So uh, I went into the process of, of applying for the department and ended up getting hired. It's probably almost two years after that first discussion because they had a two-year uh, list and waiting period at that time. So I got hired uh, before the list expired and that was in 1992. And, uh, you know, I also say, one of the things I always say is being a firefighter is not a job. It's something you become. So it's almost more of a lifestyle because firefighters spend about a third of their life actually living in the fire station with our coworkers. And, and uh, so it's actually, it's almost more of a lifestyle than it is a career choice, even though we do get paid. That's right. That's right. But um, so uh, 1992, uh, how many women were in the department at that point? So there were, at that time, there were three women, uh, three female firefighters. At, in, at that time, the, the firefighters and the paramedics were separate divisions, so they didn't cross, they didn't do dual roles like we do now. So there were three female firefighters, and there was myself and another female were hired in my class. So uh, we made uh, made five when we got out of school. And so that was, and there were, I don't know how many female paramedics were, there weren't a whole lot, but there were a few paramedics that were already on the job as well. How were, how were you received uh, as a firefighter who happened to be female? Um, you know, at first it was kind of touch and go. Uh, I, the story that my first lieutenant told me is that, uh, you know, there's a, firefighters are notorious for, for kind of being, you know, playful and pranksters in the fire station. So I think they were teasing him uh, that, that he was going to get one of the girls out of the class. And he was like, there's no way that's ever going to happen because I was down he was downtown. They said we were too busy down here. They wouldn't put a woman down here, uh, but they actually did. And uh, it ended up being one of the best things in the world for me because I was busy. I had a really good lieutenant that got me off to a good start. And, uh, you know, it was I had to prove myself a lot. A lot of eyes were on me everywhere I went. And um, it's just I just tried to see, you know, fit in where I could and uh, find out what I did, what what talents I had, what skills I had that kind of contributed to the team where, where I could kind of uh, add, you know, my, you know, whatever I was good at. And uh, I think people saw me really working hard and not, there was no quit in me. And I think they appreciate that. What were you, what part about being a firefighter did, did you enjoy the most? So, you know, it's, it's something very rewarding to actually come back from a call and, and uh, while you're on a call, sometimes you get caught up in the moment and you actually really don't even realize what you're doing. 
because it's just, you know, our training and every through repetition, everything we do, I mean, that's, we're just trained to just uh, take action when we get on the scene. But sometimes when you get back to the fire station, you really start thinking about what you just did and, and how that changed, you know, changed somebody's life and probably, you know, and even saved lives. Uh, there's no better feeling in the world than knowing that even, even though you may never see this person again. So that's one thing, but probably the, the thing I really enjoy most about being a firefighter is the camaraderie um, that we shared in the fire stations. Um, it's, it's our home away from home. And there's been so many tremendous relationships I've built uh, over the last 29 years on the fire department. And I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. You mentioned your, your first Lieutenant uh, out of uh, the Academy. Uh, was, was he one of your uh, mentors in, uh, in the department? Um, he was, I, I like to, you know, I found, I've had a lot of mentors along the way. Uh, I've had some good uh, officers or good chiefs and I've had some bad chiefs, you know? So, and I think, uh, I think the, the beauty of it is I've learned from both, you know? So I think, uh, you know, everyone has something to teach you. So I've, I've I actually listened to a lot of people along the way. I've watched a lot of people and uh, tried to, you know, take that and learn, you know, both good and bad things you know, what to, what to do and what not to do. And then now I try to, you know, walk that same walk myself. I try to be a good example for people to follow. And, uh, you know, I realize now that a lot of people look to me and for, uh, you know, how they should behave as a firefighter, things they should do, how, you know, how you can progress in the department. So I take all that very serious. Who are some of the people that looking back, you think, and that person really, made a big difference in my, uh, in my development, my career, either personally or professionally? Um, obviously, you know, my first, you know, my first Lieutenant George Reed was, uh, he was a, a strong influence uh, just because he got me off to the right start. You know, I thought everybody else was training like we were training. Then I, when I would talk to people in my class, I found out that we were really, you know, really training a lot more than a lot of people, other people did, but I, I, I appreciate that. Um, so I, th I think he was definitely there. There's been, you know, I've worked, uh, I've worked on a lot of special projects since I've been on the job from, from a very early age. So all of the directors, uh, I've probably worked on a special project with every director that we had had in my career. So I've learned a lot from them and, and probably, uh, the most influential on the job is probably, uh, my deputy, one of my deputy directors, Hope Lloyd. Um, she had started with the fire department, uh, a couple of years prior to me. Um, but we were friends before I got on the job and uh, we've kind of taken this journey together all the way to, the, you know, to leadership roles in the department. Uh, we studied together, we trained together, uh, you know, we, we've cried together, <laughs> talked about, you know, situations we were having in the fire station. So probably that she's the one person on the department. I think we've, we've been on this journey together. Uh, you know, sometimes I get a lot of attention because I'm the director, but I couldn't have done anything without her and some of the other women uh, that we've had on the job that we, you know, have collaborated together. And probably as, as far as a person not on the fire department, um, I, I was always, Pat Summit was always one of my childhood heroes. Uh, I just, I mean, there's so many leadership lessons, you, you know, you could take for hours about all the leadership lessons from Pat Summit. As a matter of fact, one of my graduation speeches is on her uh, definite 12 dozen, the uh, 12 uh, uh, rules of leadership or something, I believe. So it's, uh, 
uh, I learned a lot from her and, you know, it's just really about holding people accountable. And, and I think that's a big key to what we do. Well, you don't get to be, um, you don't be a uh, fire department director um, by going from the firehouse right to the, the director's office. Um, tell me a little bit about that, that administrative climb, some of the, the highlights, projects that you had uh, that helped prepare you to lead the department. Yeah, so, you know, uh, going through the ranks of the fire department is, uh, so there's a process, there's processes and it's basically uh, uh, testing against your peers uh, for the promotions. So uh, I went, uh, I, I say my first lieutenant was, uh, he gave me a book and said, I signed you up for the driver's test, get over here and study this book. And uh, I didn't realize it was a choice <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> but that turned out to be fortunate for me because I, I did exactly what I was told and uh, ended up getting promoted to driver fairly early, early in my career. And, um, you know, step, went through the ranks, uh, being a, a lieutenant over an engine company, uh, battalion chief in the field. And all along, uh, I worked on a lot of different projects, uh, worked with the uh, one of the earlier, raising money for the fire museum when it got opened up. That was probably one of my first projects. I ended up working on most of the promotional processes. Every, since the first time I got promoted, I was always working on the, the ranks below me uh, as being a subject matter expert uh, for the promotional processes, um, developing uh, an automated SOP system, uh, just anything that was going on. I, I was uh, always heavily involved in the uniform committee. So I take a lot of pride uh, in the way we look today because there are some changes that I implemented when I was a division chief. Uh, so just a lot of things like that. Um, and now, you know, from a strategic level, we're, you know, we're bringing some uh, innovative EMS initiatives uh, out there. We've, uh, we've changed our, you know, we've changed the specs on our apparatus. And so we're gonna have a newly designed uh, fire engine and fire truck coming out this year. Um, we were the first fire department in the country that actually had thermal imaging cameras integrated into our air packs. Uh, first metro sized department that did that a few years ago. So there's just, uh, you know, there's just a lot of things uh, that I'm really proud of that I've got to work with the team and accomplish, you know, throughout my career. Uh, if you would talk a little bit about the initiative to uh, kind of reform the way uh, uh, the, the, the department responds to uh, like emergency calls for emergency room visits and, and that sort of thing and, and how that's helped to increase the bandwidth of, of your emergency response for medical emergencies. Right. So first of all, I wanted to just let you know, as a director, a lot of times I don't, I don't come up with these ideas. So uh, the probably, I think that one of my uh, perspectives is it's some of the easiest thing in the world is to say no the hardest thing is saying yes, because if you say no, there's no changes and, and you know, things just kind of go on. But saying yes and actually implementing change is really scary and really hard sometimes. So uh, the team, came, we were having probably about 21% of our uh, EMS calls are actually non-emergent, which means that they're non-life-threatening, that we don't run lights and sirens, but we do still have to respond. And when we would take those people to the hospital, it ties up, the, not only does it tie up our ambulances, it also ties up the, the whole system in the emergency rooms. 
So we implemented the uh, Healthcare Navigator Program and they work uh, on different ways. Uh, first, the first real project they started was people who overuse 911 who call uh, multiple times per day for non-emergency use. So that was, you know, they first started working with them. Um, then we, we also have part of that unit that works uh, with the um, people who suffer from mental illness, uh, responding to calls uh, with a social worker and MPD uh, to try to mitigate, because uh, worst thing can happen for those people is to either go to an emergency room that they don't need or some, sometimes end up in jail. So that program has been very successful at keeping people out of both of those places. And then uh, probably the one that's received the most uh, publicity is the radar program. And that's a partnership with doctors who actually were able to actually respond instead of sending an ambulance or a fire truck, uh, they can actually respond on these calls that are non-emergent and they can uh, do an evaluation and either set up that person with a primary care physician appointment or another resource that they need instead of taking them to the emergency room which is a very expensive uh, alternative for both them and for the system. Uh, and so we're actually uh, expanding that program now where they actually can use telemedicine to do the declinations on the scene. So we're looking forward to rolling that out even bigger here in the future. Um, so I think that's gonna help us make sure we have ambulances available. And it also helps the citizens not get, you know, a big ambulance bill that was, was unnecessary. And yeah, one one way to attack that problem is to say, well, you know, we've got, we just need more ambulances, we need more EMTs. But you, uh, your department, and I appreciate when you say, you know, uh, I, you, there, there was a team effort. You know, you didn't uh, uh, ch uh, chart this out all by yourself. But um, you know, to have the the patience and the discipline to really figure out where those touch points are. Um, just to make the whole system more efficient I, I, has been a great benefit, as you say, not just to the fire department, but to the hospitals and, and some of these other partners as well. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the system is, it, it's built, it's, you know, there's, there's some system issues. Uh, we only get reimbursed or paid when we actually transport to the hospital. So we're working, uh, we're working to try to, to fix that problem. We're working with the insurers and, and, uh, some of the other, some other stakeholders to try to change that system because it actually, like I said, it's, it helps everybody and saves everybody money to actually get them to the right resource that they need instead of an emergency room. Well, how has um, uh, the pandemic and the lockdown and, and has that increased the demand for medical services or has it actually decreased because of uh, the lockdown? Uh, interestingly enough, it actually, our run volume actually was decreased because people, um, because of the lockdown, people not going uh, to the emergency rooms. Uh, I think people that would normally maybe overuse the emergency, even they didn't want to go to the emergency rooms because of the pandemic. So it has decreased our run volume uh, somewhat, but uh, we have, uh, early on, we experienced a lot of, uh, you know, members of our, of our department contacting, you know, contracting COVID. Uh, so, and people, they live in a fire station. So if one person in the fire station uh, tested positive, then the entire station, that entire shift would have to be quarantined for 10 to 14 days, depending on where we were with the CDC guidelines. So we had a lot of uh, staffing 
uh, you know, had to get really creative with staff and stretch, stretch our staff really thin uh, there for a while. But we found a way, uh, and that's what, the, you know, I'm very proud of the Memphis Fire Department. We always find a way to get it done. So, uh, you know, we've, we've made it through that now. Um, our positive cases are, are very low now within the department. We've got a good number of our uh, first responders uh, vaccinated, which is very important for our entire community to make sure that we reach that herd immunity and we can move on past this pandemic. Well, uh, you mentioned vaccinations, and of course, uh, uh, you are uh, kind of at the front lines of, of vaccinations uh, here in Memphis. When the city took over, you're one of the point people. In fact, uh, you're uh, that's that's where you are right now uh, is uh, at the at the uh, OEM for uh, uh, dealing with that. Tell me a little bit about how um, how you guys mobilized in a short period of time um, to take that that over once uh, the state asked you to do that. You know, <clears throat> I always say it's kind of amazing what, what you can do when you feel like you don't have a choice. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, and, and this is, and we looked at, you know, we were given the, uh, the mission uh, handed to, we were given uh, at like 10 o'clock in the morning, we were told that we were going to be, you know, taking over the vaccine process, uh, a heavy lift that day. We went through transferring uh, the chain of custody of over 50,000 doses of vaccine, uh, putting a team in place. And by eight o'clock the next morning, uh, members of the Memphis Fire Department were out delivering vaccine to uh, the fixed uh, vaccine vaccination sites, as well as the two or three pods uh, that they had scheduled that day. So it was, uh, it was pretty amazing to watch the team leap into action, but you know that's that's kind of what the fire department. You know we're trained uh, to uh, we have an incident management system that we use on fire scenes and to mitigate emergencies, and it can be expanded to to longstanding events as well. So we basically just kind of put that in play, put people in positions. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I picked key people uh, on the department who I knew had the skill set to get this done. And uh, we formed a team here at OEM and, you know, handed out responsibilities, gave them, you know, the authority to get things done. And that's how we uh, pushed through this. So the team has grown a little bit since then. Uh, but to do that, I took some key people, you know, off their regular duties, including myself, which I'm very fortunate. I have uh, two really good deputy directors that they're, you know, they're leading uh, more of the other fire department stuff that I'm not able to do day to day right now. And uh, we're getting it done. But everybody, the entire department is really having to flex, you know, flex and do a little bit more. We've got people, like I said, there's, it's Memphis firefighters that are in, in charge of the vaccine, uh, the receiving, the inventory, the distribution to the sites and maintaining that chain of custody every day. And it's a very, uh, it's not as easy as people may think. It's the the cold chain custody is very it's pretty complicated, and uh, so it's it's pretty intense for them to manage that all day long. But I'm really proud. I'm really proud of the team. Uh, not a single person asked why or said this wasn't my job. They just knew that this is what we have to do to uh, protect our community and to get our community back to normal. And we're gonna we're gonna stick with it until we get it done. Well, I can tell you, I'm a um... I'm a fully vaccinated human sitting here right now. Got both shots um, within the requisite amount of time. Uh, 
I told the mayor I was I was never more glad to be uh, obese in my life than when it qualified me to get the shot. And uh, uh, so I went to the Pipkin building in and out of there. And in, um, uh, I think the entire experience, I rolled up my at 152 and I rolled out of the parking lot after my 15 minute wait at uh, 134, uh, 234. And I had a similar experience at uh, the Appling um, Road. And uh, I, I, I will tell our, our viewers and uh, what you said is true. It's very, very hard to make it look that easy. And uh, I appreciate all the work that, that y'all have done and the folks that are there. Um, the folks uh, from UTH, what, UTHCS and, um, or uh, SC and um, uh, are just great. And um, y'all really to be commended. Now, all right, the George Jetson part of this that I think is so cool is the real-time monitoring you guys are able to do there at OEM. Uh, tell us about that and how that has made a difference in keeping things rolling. So um, OEM, it, it's been another one of my, another proud accomplishment over the last uh, uh, five years. It's been in development. Uh, it, it wasn't always uh, as tech uh, savvy as it is right now. So um, at the beginning of COVID, you, you know, the city and the county, Shelby County, they stood up the joint task force to help mitigate the uh, pandemic. So uh, that's initially we started meeting, you know, we meet down here at OEM and um, we had to make some upgrades. So we have, uh, we have a wall now uh, where we have cameras, we monitor all the, the uh, fixed uh, vaccine sites uh, here from OEM. So we can watch, we can tell when traffic is starting to back up, we can tell when traffic is slow. Um, a lot of times before the people, the managers on the ground can even tell us. It just helps to keep that situ situational awareness. So also have, uh, we have members, a data team, uh, the department has a data team. We have some of those that are down here working to pull the data together because as you know, the city's uh, really is driven by data to make uh, decisions instead of just using, you know, gut instincts or something like that, even though those do come into play sometimes. So we display all the data here. We have uh, uh, the, the inventory management of the vaccine. We always have, everybody in the room has a situational awareness of everything that's going on. We know how many appointments we have this week per place. We know where all the community pop-up pods are. And everybody on the team, is, we're, we're all playing off the same playbook. And that's where, that's really important in any, uh, you're trying to get anything done in this world. And, and, and we're here together uh, so we can communicate. And uh, I know one of the things with the pandemic, not being able to communicate face to face has really, it's been problematic for, for a lot of people um, because there's just, there's even though we're sitting here talking on the computer right now, just being in person, it just, it's just a little bit uh, better. So we're down here, we uh, make sure that we're all on the same page, we communicate regular and just head off any misunderstandings before they get too far down the road. But uh, that's that's really the key. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty nice state of the art now down here at OEM. We can mitigate. I'm confident there's not any emergency in the city that we couldn't mitigate, manage from right here and, and help the boots on the ground that are actually getting the work done. Well, one thing you mentioned is the the outreach effort, the pods, uh, the pop up pods, and the um, 
and the homebound uh, effort. And I, I've, you know, I have uh, uh, friends in other places, and uh, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of people doing as much outreach as, as y'all are doing. Talk a little bit about those efforts and how people can uh, avail themselves of, uh, particularly of the homebound uh, effort. Yeah, I'm, I'm, thanks for asking that. So I, I failed to mention that earlier. And in, in, in addition to all the other great work that healthcare navigators are doing, uh, Kevin Spratlin, the manager of that team, uh, came to me early before we even received the vaccine uh, mission and said that this was an important, the homebound population was a very important population. And he felt that his team could do some good work there. So I said, okay, I gave him permission. Once again, I said, yes, which is always scary. Um, I said, yes, Kevin, I said, give me a plan for, for us to do it. So he began to formulate some uh, partnerships uh, there to, to, to perform outreach out to that community. So um, they, they've been able to do that with the homebound. Uh, also with people experiencing homeless, they've had several events uh, with them. We actually uh, been able to uh, obtain a, a community vaccination unit. Uh, it's a truck that we use to actually do these events and take it out into the community. So, and so they're just, they're out there reaching these hard to reach, these vulnerable populations. They can't, may not have transportation or may not be able to make it for whatever their reason uh, to one of the vaccine sites. Um, it's just, it's, it's incredible work. It's not, you don't get the huge numbers like you get at one of the mass sites. Um, you know, you're not gonna get 2000 people a day, but it's very targeted approach and it's really taking the vaccine to people who might not have another alternative. So uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know of a lot of other people who have done as much, uh, other cities have done as much outreach as we've done with this, but I'm really, really proud of that team. Well, and particularly in a city like Memphis, where uh, mobility is such a challenge for so many people, getting to a vaccination site uh, is, can be impossible for some folks. And I was just really glad to hear that not only were you doing the homebound and, and the homeless, but also taking the, talk about a little about, the, about this pod effort to go into different neighborhoods. Um, you know, I know that, uh, uh, you've gone to some Hispanic areas and uh, some of the inner city locations, again, trying to go where the people are uh, who may not be able to travel to one of the central sites. And so we kind of look at it as originally the, the mass uh, vaccine sites like the Pipkin site, uh, that's kind of the shotgun approach. You get the most people, you know, with a blast, but the community pods are more a targeted approach. And what we did, we analyzed the data once again, and targeted zip codes that had the lowest uptake of vaccine. And so we actually started working mostly with the faith-based community in those zip codes to do uh, community pods in those, in those zip codes to try to encourage people. Uh, hopefully, you know, the, uh, the ministers and pastors could encourage more people in the community to come out. And if they didn't have to travel as far to a site also, you know, all of those things, we wanted to bring the vaccine to the people. So uh, it's been pretty successful. Um, like I said, we're also reaching out to you know, the Hispanic uh, population, uh, taking the vaccine uh, to where they feel comfortable getting a vaccine. And then, uh, so now uh, we've also, uh, you mentioned people that don't have transportation. So we partner with MATA. So you can, uh, anybody that doesn't have a ride can take MATA to the Pipkin site 
and you they will drop you off there and uh, they will give you a voucher uh, for your fare and then also give you a voucher uh, to come back for your second uh, your second shot when that's available. And if you're a Meta Plus user, uh, they will take you, you can just call and make an appointment just like you do for any other uh, Meta Plus ride and they'll bring you to the Pipkin site and we, you can get your vaccine that way. So a lot of outreach is gone. Uh, we, I see it as our job is to remove every barrier, every obstacle we can to make it as easy as possible uh, for the people in our community, the people in our uh, county city to come out and get vaccinated uh, if they want to. So there's no excuse. If you want a shot, you can get a shot. And um, I'm, I'm pretty proud of all the work we've done to remove all barriers and obstacles. And so, if, you know, if there's more obstacles out there, just let us know. And we'll figure out a way. If you want a vaccine, we'll figure out a way to get it to you. All right. Well, let's, let me switch gears a little bit. And in the time we have left, I want to talk about um, kind of the infrastructure improvements that the department is, is making. I know that there have been some strategic um, construction of new firehouses. And then, of course, um, you're, you're, you're reluctantly relocating uh, the, uh, the fire headquarters from uh, right near my office here on Union uh, over to the, to the fire campus, if you will, uh, where OEM is and other things. Um, how, is, how is that, uh, that whole uh, process going? So uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, moving my headquarters was not uh, originally my idea, um, but you know, is you know, not being selfish. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, where my office is right now is one of the best views of the river and the bridge, and uh, you know, uh, I should share that with uh, the community. I think uh, having a museum there and having that opportunity down on the riverfront, I think that's a great opportunity for our city uh, to grow our downtown. Uh, to grow our tourism. And, and I see that big picture, uh, the big picture there. Um, so we've built, we're, we just finished construction on Fire Station 43 in Whitehaven. We had the uh, groundbreaking, oh, not the grand, grand opening last week. And I'm really, 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 I think the design turned out fantastic. So anybody gets a chance to ride down off of Holmes Road and take a look at it. Uh, it's part of a concept. Uh, that we decided that we wanted our fire stations when we did build a fire station, we wanted it to add to the community, wanted to blend into the community and not just stand out like an abatross. So that's, that station was very purposely designed to add to that community. It also has a training room that can also be a community room for community groups can come in and use that space to have community meetings and stuff if they want to actually, you know, to bring the community to the fire station. So that, uh, that project is just finished. And so uh, the current headquarters has a fire station uh, that operates, a, it's a regular fire station, fire station five, and the fire administration was upstairs. So the fire station is being uh, relocated to Adams near Thomas. And uh, the construction is going very well there. Um, they should probably be in there uh, before this time, probably by the end of the year, before this time next year. And then, then we had to rethink what does fire administration, what does that look like? Uh, and it's interesting you use the term campus because that's exactly the concept we kind of came up with. Um, OEM was in a building here at Avery in the basement and we had done a lot of work here, but the upstairs was pretty much had been neglected for years. So we were able to uh, do some renovations up there where the phase one uh, renovation, if you, if you will, 
we've got uh, two or three more phases we want to finish out completely renovating uh, that building that we call it the Avery building where OEM and fire prevention is and now uh, EMS uh, actually operates out of this building as well and then uh, we were fortunate that with the partnership with Shelby County 911 uh, fire and police communication which is the other anchor uh, here at Avery uh, on at Flickr um, we were able to renovate they helped us renovate the upstairs there and now uh, we've done some work downstairs and that's where our healthcare navigator program is riding out of there. So uh, we've built that space downstairs with the capacity to actually grow that program now. And a lot of partnerships are helping us with that. And then right in the right in the dead center of that is gonna be the new fire administration building. Uh, that, that construction, is, uh, it's a beautiful building. It's uh, designed with the historic uh, appreciation for what fire stations have always looked like along with being, uh, you know, a modern touch as well. And just tying this whole campus together, I feel like it'll make us more efficient. It's gonna keep those communications, uh, you know, we'll be able to communicate better and just be more efficient all the way around. Well, for, for those folks that uh, frequent the Union Extended Overpass, you can see the construction from there. If you're a passenger in a car, take a look. If you're driving, don't, uh, <laughs> don't look away from the road, obviously, but uh, you can see it and it's going to be a handsome building and, and hopefully uh, be great for years and years to come. And where it may not have the, the same views, uh, it certainly is more strategically located being in the middle of town. Um, uh, that's probably going to be very helpful for, for the department. And, um, and also, I, I, I don't want to geek out here, but uh, the, the strategic placement of the uh, Adams uh, and uh, Thomas station uh, is kind of a kind of a rethinking of how you you uh, deploy fire protection in downtown. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Because I think it's fascinating. Yeah. So you know, there's uh, we follow NFPA guidelines, um, and their guidelines are not we're not held in, but it's for response. And uh, in general, fire stations should be about have about a Three mile radius, three mile radius uh, between stations, and uh, strategically, our forefathers here in Memphis did a pretty good job planning out uh, fire stations where they are for fire protection in the city. So I'm very thankful and appreciative of that because all metro cities don't have didn't have that forethought, you know, throughout the history. Um, but the fire station five was backed up to the river. So it really didn't get a good 360 degree uh, response territory. It was pretty much a, a, a 180, right? So um, that that went into the thinking of it. We also, uh, I said three stations. So we're also rebuilding the fire station that was uh, that is on Jackson Avenue uh, and moving it um, just slightly north. Uh, and so those two moves together are actually gonna give us a better response into the downtown area and also the medical district in that area that's really growing, uh, you know, the population is really growing in that part of town right now. So uh, strategically overall, I think that's gonna uh, actually improve our response into the downtown area. And uh, so we won't be, a lot of times, uh, I worked at, as a Lieutenant at Fire Station 5 headquarters uh, during Memphis in May and during large events down there, our actually response uh, is, is extremely hampered because of traffic and everything. So that I think this move also give us during those busy times downtown with big events and stuff, 
will give us a, a better shot in to get into the, some of those facilities we need to. Well, uh, Director, thank you so much uh, for uh, your time today. It's just, it's just uh, fascinating. And uh, I want to thank you and, and all the members of the Memphis Fire Department. Uh, you know, you don't always think of the fire department and that's good because that means you're doing your job. And uh, so it's, it's good to give, uh, to have a little bit of a discussion because I don't think many, uh, many Memphians really realize how cutting edge our department is, how well trained it is. And if you don't mind me saying so, how well led it is. And I really appreciate your service to our, to our city. All right, thanks so, so thank you so much, Alan. Like I, said, I, I think we have uh, the best fire department in the country. You know, I think uh, we're an ISO one department, which means that we've met the criteria to be one of the top uh, fire departments in the country. And uh, every day I'm just amazed at the work that the men and women do here and uh, how they do it with, with a professional, the profess professionalism that they do, and there's no back down. And I think the community should uh, sleep well knowing that they got a really fantastic fire department. All right, I'm gonna give you the last word, uh, whether they're little boys or little girls, if someone is uh, thinking about a career in fire uh, protection, what would, you, what would you say to them? What's the advice uh, that they should be thinking about as they consider that career choice? So obviously it's a physically demanding uh, job. So, you know, stay healthy, you know, stay fit, you know, find ways to, to, to be strong and, and, and all of that. Uh, pay attention in school. It's, it's not a, a easy job. Uh, there's a lot of math. Uh, you, there's a lot of reading, reading comprehension. And probably first, you know, foremost is like what we're doing right now. You have to know how to talk to people. Uh, so all of those things are very important uh, to develop those skills as you're growing up. And then uh, if you're really interested, you know, find your mentor, go by a fire station and visit. Uh, they always welcome uh, kids to come by and show you the fire, fire trucks and talk to you about, you know, what the job entails. And uh, if you're really thinking about it, I can't think of a more a rewarding thing uh, to do in your life. It's, it's really blessed me. And I've been able to do a lot of fantastic things that I might not have ever been able to do before. All right, well, we'll let that be the last word again. Uh, Gina Sweat, the fire chief of the city of Memphis, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service. Uh, and then thank you for watching uh, the, this podcast or listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, and who we talk, who are we kidding? You, uh, it was a great show. Uh, please share this with as many people as you can. Um, like us on social media, all that good stuff. We appreciate it. Uh, Gina's going to go back to fighting fires and protecting the community. And I'm going to go back and hopefully get a little justice today. So again, thank you all very, very much. <laughs>